Lord, to be with us this morning. 
Heavenly Father, we bow at this time to give you thanks for another day. Lord, thankful for the many blessings that you've bestowed upon each and every one of us. Lord, as we look back through our life, we see that you've been so good to us. And all we can do, Lord, is just say thank you. Yes, yes, Lord. Lord, I do pray that you will continue to be with us and bless us. Lord, be with the sick and the needy. Be with the one that was mentioned here today, Lord. We realize that you have all power. And if it would be your will, Lord, just heal him. Yes, Lord. Now, Lord, we come back and be with Brother David. Just lift him up above the cares of this old world. Fill him up with our Holy Spirit and let him preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That we might see Jesus high and lifted up today, Lord. We give you all the honor and the glory. Oh, Lord, that you will continue to be with us and bless us. And forgive us when we do wrong. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Jim. I'm going to try to pick up again in the uh, ninth chapter of the book of Romans. Um, I think I mentioned last week, every time I read this particular chapter, I feel like I get a little more insight into what it is the apostle is saying to us, what it is God would have us know by reading these things. And uh, Romans is... Romans is by far my favorite book in the Bible. Um, as Paul said in the 15th chapter of this book, fourth verse, he says, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Now that, for us, you know, we can look at all of Scripture as being written aforetime. All of this was written down a long time ago, and it is written for us, uh, that we, through the patience and the comfort of the Scripture, patience, you know, you don't really think about the Scripture being patient, okay? But the Scripture is patient with us, gently leading us, like a father does. Surprise, it's the will of the Father. These words are the will of the Father. Um, Jesus Christ is often described as the Word or Logos. Now, let's not confuse a book an actual book with the living God, those two things are different. But this is the will of God. These are his words, and he is gently reminding us about who he is and what he has done for us. Um, we think about, when we think about this ninth chapter, often we almost always associate it with, with the doctrine of election because it talks about election. And I mentioned last week that so many people want to build their framework they want to limit this book to about who is elect. And that's what they say that this particular book is about. The, the Apostle Paul begins it by making a statement about his brethren. He says that he has a great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart for them. Uh, he says, uh, verse 3, for I could wish. That means that he couldn't. That means it's not possible for him to wish this. But if he could, here's what he would wish. 
If he could, he says, For I could wish that myself were a curse from Christ from my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. He would, he would willingly be accursed from Christ if his brethren uh, could know what it is he knows and, and understand what it is he understands. Again, a lot of people, they have framed this particular chapter up. And I mentioned last week, often how when we look at when we look at Scripture, we try to do so in a systematic way. We uh, Typically, theology is referred to as uh, systematic theology, often. Uh, and we refer to it that way because we try to build on things that have gone before, and we try to, so that it helps us understand things that will come in the future. Um, another way to, to look at that might be progressive revelation. The Scripture is laid out in that format. It is a piece of progressive revelation. It starts at the very beginning and just builds and builds and builds, and we learn more and more and more. For example, the Old Testament is all uh, uh, imagery. It's hidden in types and shadows. It wasn't clear. Uh, the Apostle Peter says those uh, prophets in the Old Testament really didn't know. They, they looked for something, but they weren't real sure about what it was, and the full revelation didn't come to us until the New Testament when we see Jesus Christ, who is God in a body, uh, here walking with us and we understand that it, it, while we were helpless to do anything in and of ourselves Jesus came and offered himself for us because he wanted to <laughs> the full the full revelation of the mind of Christ uh, Paul says in the, the Colossian letter he says that mystery that great mystery that was hidden before the foundation of the world is Christ in you the hope of glory why do we have hope because Christ is in us. That's why we have hope. Well, this, this book, and it's, um, I'm always mindful of what the late Elder Sonny Piles often said. <laughs> Any text without a context is just a pretext. And that is the truth. Well, you can take this particular book, and I had intended today to speak on the 10th chapter of the book of Romans, uh, because it, the 10th chapter of the book of Romans contains the, to the modern day world's greatest pretext. I'm not going to preach on the pretext today. What's a pretext? A pretext is a text used with the intention of relaying a message that the author did not intend. And the, the tenth and tenth verse, tenth chapter, twelfth verse. Uh, I'm sorry, tenth chapter, thirteenth verse is the great pretext of modern day Christianity. It is the great pretext of modern day Christianity. But back in the ninth chapter, the ninth chapter is intended to teach us about election. But I think so many people limit the scope of what this is actually telling us about election. They want to, they want to say that, that the election, what Paul is teaching us in uh, uh, the ninth chapter here is that God elects very specific people for eternal life. That is the truth. That is a true statement that God elects specific people for eternal life. Um, 
the Ephesian letter, the Apostle Paul says, Blessed be our God and Father. Blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. The, the truth that, Jesus, that God selects his people, that God has past tense chosen, selected his people, and he did that before the foundations of the world were laid, that is a foregone conclusion. You cannot argue with that passage. It is a statement of fact. It is the truth. But the ninth chapter of the book of Romans while it's teaching us about election, is not teaching us about that kind of election. I mean, election is just that. I mean, we understand what election is because, you know, in this country we have, eh, we may have free elections. I don't really know. Uh, I used to think they were, well, I don't know. I, that's all speculation. Election is where a choice is made. I mean, that's clearly, we understand what that's about. But that little voice in the back of my head, Elder Sonny Piles, continues to ring. Any text without a context is a pretext. Keep it in context. Don't lose the context. And I always want to, right here at this ninth chapter, divide Romans cleanly in half and say, you see, all that stuff that went before is uh, foundational doctrinal information, and here at the ninth chapter, we're taught practice. Brothers and sisters, you cannot have right practice apart from right doctrine. You cannot. You will not have right practice if you have wrong doctrine. It just won't happen. We cannot, we cannot disconnect the doctrine from the practice. They are, they are together. The 8th chapter of the book of Romans, probably my most favorite chapter in all of the Bible. And we know, and here's, the, here's another one of those verses that is one of the, maybe not as great a pretext as, as, uh, as that, 10 and 13, but a pretext nonetheless. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So how many times have you heard, well, this terrible tragedy has happened. That, that tragedy down there in Alabama, several people died. I, I don't know how many. God had a purpose in that. As all those things that work together to take care of us, brothers and sisters, that tornado didn't take care of those people. It killed them. Now, they may be in heaven today, which ultimately is good, but that thing that happened in time had nothing to do with their eternal salvation. Okay? Let's make sure we remember that. That, again, is another one of those pretexts. That teaching that all things work together for good are not all of the things that could possibly happen to us in this life. It is not all of the, all of every time we stumble or stub our toe or, or cut our finger or, 
or that's has that is not what this is talking about. Context, context is king here. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate them, he also called. Whom he called them, he also justified. And whom he justified them, he also glorified. Brothers and sisters, this all things under consideration here are all the things that God did for us to see that we get from where we are right now to where we ultimately will be. And everything that happens to us in life, and Paul goes on at the end of that particular chapter, and he tells us, uh, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the, la- all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all of these things we are more than conquerors. Paul argues for the fact that while the world tries to hinder us, while the devil tries to derail us, while uh, all of the demons in, in hell want to take our eternal salvation, there is nothing they can do to prevent God from having what he purchased. That's that's the truth of Scripture. How does this ninth chapter fit in that context? As I was kind of finishing up last week, I sort of ended there around the 23rd verse or so, and I read a few verses, but it kind of rushed over it. This, um, This 24th verse kind of highlights the, I think what is the bigger picture here? Even us whom he has called, not of the Jews only, but also the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul, uh, the Apostle Paul is not the apostle to the Jews. That was Peter. Uh, the Apostle Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He was sent uh, to spread the word. He was sent to enlighten us. He was sent to let us know these things that uh, we might have comfort in them. Um, but the Jews were, and that's who he's, it's, that's his brethren. My, I have a heaviness in my heart for my kinsmen, my brethren. And we ought to all have that heaviness in our heart for our kinsmen, our brethren, those that are close to us. We should be heavy hearted for the people who don't know the truth. We ought to be. But his kinsmen, his brethren had this idea that God owes us because we are Abraham's seed. You can go and read the, uh, the uh, Gospels and, and, uh, and over and over and they'll tell you that. John the Baptist, who, was, who came preaching before uh, Jesus Christ came on the scene, John the Baptist says, the, rack, <laughs> the, racks, the axe is already laid at the root of the tree. He says, bring forth fruit uh, meat or suitable for repentance. And he says, and think not into yourselves to say that uh, we are Abraham's seed. Because God is able of these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Praise the Lord for that. We are the stones. We are those stones raised up as children. Abraham's seed. That, they were proud of that. But Paul goes on and he says, well, and he gives us some information about who are Israelites. And he begins to talk about this concept of national election and the idea that they were chosen above all the peoples of the world for this specific task. And that task was to be a representative of God's people to the world. And boy, did they fail. 
And he goes on, he says, uh, he says this. Verse 6, not as though the word of God hath taken none effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And, and so here we see uh, people begin to use these as examples of uh, what, as examples of who are God's children and who aren't God's children. And when you look at these passages in that light, I think you miss the point entirely. When you look at these passages in the light of who are God's children and who are not God's children, you miss the point entirely. Remember the context. Uh, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. This is the context. This is the context of the ninth chapter. The things that God does for us to see that we get from where we begin to where we're supposed to be when we finish. And I don't mean in this world. I don't mean the things that happen in this world. I mean that place called heaven. We dream of a place called heaven. Or we read. I don't read. What is the word there? We read of a place called heaven. It's one of our songs. Let's see. Well, this example here shows us clearly that this concept of being Abraham's seed that the Jews depended on was it was defective. It was false. Why? He goes on, he, he tells us about why. He gives us an example of why. What's the example? Well, he says, uh, for this is the word of promise, verse 9. No, let's get to 10. 10 is one I want. Not, not Sarah's children. Sarah had children, but now we want, Sarah had a child. We want to see Rebecca's children. And not only this, but when Rebecca had conceived by one, and who is Rebecca? Rebecca's Isaac's wife. Who is Isaac? Isaac was Abraham's son. Okay? Child of Abraham. All right? Child of Abraham. For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. So we're establishing the fact that whatever this is about, it's about the, it's not based on what they've done. That's the key. Not based on what they've done, obviously. What's it based on? The, the purpose of God according to election might stand. It is not of works, but of him that calleth. What? Okay. So it was said unto her, you go back to the book of Genesis, I can't remember exactly where, 25th, 26th chapter of the book of Genesis, you can read about that. It was said unto her that the elder shall serve the younger. The elder shall serve the younger. What is that a picture of? There's a picture of election. In what way? God determined beforehand how it would work out. Now, as I mentioned last week, I went into a little bit more detail on the, this idea of Esau serving Jacob. And, and Esau never did in his life serve Jacob or bow down to Jacob. Esau was definitely always the strongest. Esau was uh, uh, the landowner, which uh, Jacob should have been. Esau was uh, had great wealth and was blessed, but so was Jacob. 
Uh, the writer of the Hebrew letter tells us by faith, uh, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau. Blessed both of them by faith he did that. Not by works. By faith he did that. You go back and look at the story of, of Jacob and Esau. And uh, you can see the distinction of by faith and by works. Re Rebecca overhears uh, Isaac talking to his son Esau. And he says, Esau, go out and, and get me some savory meat. Go hunting and do that. And uh, come back and I'm going to give you the blessing that you're supposed to get. And, and Esau was confident and knew he could do it. And so he marched right out that door and started going to work. Rebecca comes in and he, she, she says to her son, she says, quick, go outside and get me a goat and I'm going to fix it for your dad. I'm going to send you in there and you're going to get that blessing. Isaac was like, that ain't never going to work. Not Isaac, Jacob, thank you, dear. She's like, what, who? Jacob, Jacob's like, that's never going to work. That is not going to work. And you know what he did? He did it anyway, by faith. He was not confident at all and pressed on. Jacob is a type of God's children gaining timely salvation because they hear the word of God and know they don't have it in and of themselves and proceed anyway. Jacob, the supplanter, the one that tries to trip you up. He's a picture of us. Worthless, undeserving. He's a picture of us. You see this idea of Jacob and Esau, Jacob being elect and Esau being a non-elect. What was he elected for? Jacob was elected to, to have the seed. To be the line of the seed that would come. Who's that seed? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. What was the whole point in Jesus coming? To get us from where we are to where we ultimately will be. And who could, who could overthrow that? But the story of, 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 uh, of Isaac and Abimelech or I can't even remember which one it is. Actually, I think it's Abraham and Abimelech. The story of Abraham and Abimelech is one that's just, uh, uh, it's one of those things that you just, you know, it's just, it shows the authority, the power of God. And Abraham is in the, in uh, the land of the Philistines and he, his wife is there with him and he's, He's afraid of, of that the men of the land are going to see his wife and take her. And, and he says, no, she's my sister. And so Abimelech goes ahead and he takes her and she's going to be his. And uh, in a dream that night, God comes to Abimelech and he says, you're as good as a dead man. He says, you got a, you got a married woman there with you. Abimelech says, hey, I didn't touch her, honest. And God says, yeah, I know, because I didn't let you. 
I didn't let him. See, God wasn't up there wringing his hands going, oh no, my plan to, to see that Jesus Christ comes into the world has is, is failed now. He says, no, I just didn't let you. This is a picture showing us God's choice. God's choice to get Jesus Christ into the world so that he would come and die for our sins. Oftentimes we, we get so uh, bent out of shape. There's this concept called the pendulum effect, okay? The pendulum effect. And what the pendulum effect is, at least in theology, is where uh, you hear wrong doctrine, and then what you do is you get so far on the other side away from this pendulum to distinguish yourself from this wrong doctrine over here that you've swung way over here to the other side, uh, and you're, you're almost equally wrong. It's like, uh, it's like driving down a highway, you got two ditches. You don't want to be in either one of them. You want to be right there in the middle where the truth is. So, so often we, we think about this, all things that work together for good, and we've, we're, we've swung so far away from this concept of, of uh, that people talk about out in the world today. They, their grandmother got hit by a freight train, and they say, well, you know, uh, that's, you know, God knows what he's doing. God worked that out, and now she's in heaven. Well, she may be in heaven, but God didn't work out the freight train, okay? He didn't do that. That is not what this is talking about. So we get so far away from that that we try to discard all timely events that take place in the world. We try to say, okay, these timely events can't be part of that because we don't want to associate ourselves with that kind of doctrine over there. And so we say that all of these things must just pertain to uh, election and predestination and justification and glorification. But brothers and sisters, how do we get to that? There was a man that came into this world that lived a perfect life in time and he died here. Why? Because people hated him. People hated him. Now, were they all, were they all, all of those people that hated him, were they all uh, sinners bound for hell? Were they all the non-elect? I mean, if, if Paul says in the fifth chapter of Romans, talking about Jesus Christ when he came and he died for us, he says, uh, for when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Christ didn't die for his friends, brothers and sisters. Christ died for his enemies because he had no friends. You see, we're the one. You know that old song we sing? What a friend we have in Jesus. You see, he's our friend. We weren't his. We were not his friend. Things happen. Things happen in time so that the perfect situation was right there, so that the perfect circumstances existed. Uh, Peter, when he was speaking uh, to, the, uh, to the people on the day of Pentecost, Peter says this, um, 
second chapter of the book of Acts, he says, uh, verse 22, Ye men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you, by miracles and wonders and signs, God did, uh, God did by him in the midst of you. As you yourselves know, him being delivered. And listen to this. this oh, listen to this. Him, Jesus Christ, being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God. He, God did this. God delivered Jesus right there to a pack of wolves. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and the foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Their hands were wicked. Their hands were wicked. Does it mean they were non-elect? Does it mean they don't get to go to heaven like Esau? Because Esau chose the bean soup over his birthright. Is that what that means? I hear a lot of people teach that. I hear a lot of people teach that, yeah, Esau, he's, he's in hell right now because he's a non-elect. God hated him. That's what it says. What if? God willing to show his wrath. This is verse 22, 9 and 22. To make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. Who are the vessels of wrath? I touched on this last week. Brothers and sisters, that's every single one of us. So often we put that in that whole uh, elect and non-elect box. You see here, God's talking just about the non-elect here because those are bad people. We're the good people. We're the good ones. No. Christ, remember, Christ died for the ungodly. Paul describes how, how we all were uh, in the that Ephesian letter, second chapter. He says, and, and we were all the children of wrath as others. How did we become sinful? We just got that way by birth. We were born into it. We were born sinful. And God endured that. God endured that for a long time. <laughs> you know what? He's still enduring it now. Peter says, uh, we ought to, uh, I'll get to it. I won't read it because I'll mess it up, but I'll read it. Peter says, 2 Peter But beloved, be not ignorant about this one thing, that, day, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. He's telling us about God's uh, patience. We'll put it that way. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. All should come to repentance. Long suffering. In verse 15, he says, Now we ought to account. What's the word account mean? 
It means, uh, as, as uh, like you do with your checkbook, you reconcile it. But we got we got a, a, a negative over here and a positive over here. We need to reconcile those two things. We're the negative. God's the positive. Let's account that that the long suffering of the Lord is salvation. That's our deliverance because He is long suffering to us. We're long suffering. What if God, willing to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to the to destruction, and that He might make known that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared in the glory, even us, whom he's called, not the Jews only, but the Gentiles also. How do we get to that place? Well, we got to that place because God sent his son into the world in the midst of wolves. They had a little help, okay? They had a little help. They had something, and he's going to talk about it through the next few chapters, and he continues this same concept in the 10th chapter and in the 11th chapter. They don't, the, 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 train, the train of thought does not stop, and I don't, I don't have enough time today. We'd be here for a long time if I tried to cover all these things. But I want to kind of jump over, and Lord willing, I might come back and get some more of this stuff in the middle, but I want to kind of jump over and get to the end of this thing. This is one of those mysteries that has been hid from the foundation of the world that's finally been revealed to us, and we can only see the truth of it if we look clearly at it with unbiased glasses, with that veil removed, like, like Paul talks about the Jews, they still have the veil to this day. Why do they have a veil, and why are we able to see it? It was because of unbelief that they were broken out, clearly. Because they were wicked people. They, they didn't, what did they not get? What did the Jews not get? Back in chapter 9, for he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. What did the Jews not get? They didn't get mercy. And they didn't get compassion. Why? Why not? Because God had a plan. From the beginning of the world, God had a plan for a sinful people that he loved. All of them, remember, God hasn't cast away his people. But Paul's explaining to us about how election works. Election is not only a thing that works in eternity, but election is a thing that works right here in time just as easily because it's God. Remember, God does, God works his will in the uh, armies of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Where is God able to work? Wherever God wants to work. I hear so many people talk about how uh, hell is that place where you get cast and where you're separated from God. Brothers and sisters, they ain't, a, they ain't a place in existence that's separated from God. God is everywhere present. Nowhere absent. God is all-powerful. There is God holds the keys to hell. Not Satan. Satan. 
behold the goodness and severity of God, Paul says there at the end of that 11th chapter as he starts to close this. I want to skip down to the 25th verse. Kind of wrap this, this thought of the context up for you. For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant. I'm, I'm going to share something with you, Paul says. I don't want you to be ignorant about this anymore. I don't want you to be ignorant about this anymore. I don't want you to be ignorant about this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Don't, don't you be puffed up. Don't you be proud. Don't you be thinking you're just better than they are. You look at them and you better be thankful. That's what he said. Who? Look at who? The Jews. Look at the Jews and be thankful for them. Be thankful that they were there. Be thankful that God chose them to do this task, to do what they had to do, and not you. I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant about this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, and he talks about the blindness, uh, our, our good friend Isaiah talks about the blindness, uh, blindness is mentioned all throughout the Old Testament about the blindness of Israel, the blindness happened to Israel for a reason, because they were unbelievers, because they were rebellious, but also because they were chosen by God. They got exactly what they asked for. Brothers and sisters, we need to be careful about getting what we ask for. About what we ask for, because we might get it. God just might let us have it. That blindness, in part, has happened to Israel. For how long? Until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. What, what would happen if God had sent Jesus to uh, uh, people that were a little more just indifferent like we are today? Well, they probably wouldn't have even crucified him. How are you going to have a sacrifice that's not sacrificed? You see, in time, Jesus elected the Jews to do a task, a dirty task, a task that nobody else would have wanted to have done. They crucified the Lord of glory, but they didn't know because they were blind. But you see, we're in that same group. We just got a little extra mercy. A little extra grace. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all Israel shall be saved. Now that all Israel there is not all national Israel. It's all spiritual Israel. It's all of those who are this children of Abraham that God raised up from stones. It is all of God's people. From the beginning of time to the end of time, those that are accounted as the sands of the seashore, those that are like the dust of the earth is what he told Isaac. Those that are uh, uh, of, a, of a number out of every nation and kingdom and kindred and tongue, all of the people, all of the elect of God, even the bad ones. Thank God, even the bad ones. 
That means I might be saved. All Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the deliverer, and they shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. Because Jacob is ungodly. He was the supplanter. He was the conniver. He was the schemer. <laughs> but he just walked by faith. That's how we are. That's who we are. We are the connivers, the schemers, the undeserving of mercy. Yet God looked down at that wretched man and said, I'll choose you. He says, for this is my covenant unto them. And I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. And that's not God the Father, okay? That's not God the Father. Look where the apostrophe is. It comes, it comes after the S. It means Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're beloved because God said he loved them. Because God promised he would. Because God promised he would love them. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. What does that mean? I used to think it meant that you didn't have to repent to get the gifts of calling of God. And that's true. You don't have to repent to get the gifts of calling of God in eternity. You have to repent to get the gifts and the calling of God in time. Okay? That's time salvation. But what he means here is that all of us are undeserving, yet we get salvation anyway because God promised. All of us do. All of the elect. How many are there? They are as the stars of the heavens. They are as the sands of the seashore. They are as the dust of the earth. They are out of every nation and kingdom and people and tongue. They are countless, brothers and sisters. The elect are countless. It's not just a chosen few of us who happen to know the truth. The elect are countless. Now, there are unelect. Just like there were unelect in time there as Esau was, Esau was unelect in time. Because he wasn't chosen to be the line that Jesus Christ came from. That's what he got unelected for. Or that's what he got passed. There is no unelection. Okay? So many people want to talk about, hey, there's elect and there's not elect. Or unelect. A lot of people call that double predestination. We don't believe that for a second. God didn't unelect anybody. Why? Because weren't any of us elect to begin with? You see, the miracle, the amazing thing is not that He chose some of us. And I said this last week, and I'm going to say it again this week. The miracle is that He chose any of us. As he closes this 11th chapter, that's what he brings out. For the gifts and the calling of God are without repentance. That means God promised it. Whom God, Titus, I'm writing you in hope of eternal life. Whom God, prom, whom God, who God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. Verse 30 here in 11. 
For you in time past have not believed God, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. How do we obtain mercy through their unbelief? They crucified the Lord of glory. They murdered Jesus Christ. Now, that's some of that old, deep, uh, the, <clears throat> the R.C. Sproul, is not R.C. Sproul, J.R. Tolkien, no, that's, that's, uh, that's not, C.S. Lewis, thank you. Gosh, I couldn't even get the guy's name. C.S. Lewis wrote about it in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, Aslan was able to lay his life down <clears throat> because according to the scriptures, the priest, the high priest, gets the sacrifice. That's how he was able to take it back up again. That's what that's where that's where C.S. Lewis got that. That's where he got that. That's where he got that analogy. Jesus Christ was able to lay his life down, was able to willingly, freely offer his life as the sacrifice because he was our high priest. And the sacrifice belonged to him. That's why he rose again. Because he's God. And God said that's how that works. And you know what? When God said that's how that works, that's how it works. <clears throat> well, even so, have they also now not believed that through your mercy they may also they also may obtain mercy? And Paul, Paul here, uh, I believe Paul here makes uh, the appeal to uh, his Gentile brethren that they have mercy on his Jewish brothers that they show them and tell them the truth. And, and over in the Corinthian letter, he talks about how maybe that veil will get removed. But guess when all the guess when that until was was at the end of the world that until that the blindness and part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in when did the full, when did that happen it happened once in the end of the world the Hebrew writer tells us about that. Hebrews chapter 9 talks about this sacrifice that was made, the, the latter part of that chapter there. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without the shedding of blood there is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of the things in heaven should be purified with these, uh, with these but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these talking about the old testament versus the new testament how those old sacrifices really didn't do anything but they just represented that one sacrifice that would come for christ verse 24 is not entered into the holy place made with hands uh, he didn't go into the the holy of holies on the temple that was there out in the middle of the desert he didn't go into that one he didn't go into the one there uh, that was built in jerusalem uh, he went to the true the one built in heaven he says to appear in the presence of god for us nor yet that he should offer himself often yet he doesn't have to do it over and over and over like they did in the Old Testament days they did it once every year over and over and over why because that sacrifice really didn't do any cleaning it just pointed to the one that would nor uh, that he should offer himself often as the high priest uh, entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others 
For then must he have often have suffered since the foundation of the world. But now, once, here, here, here's the end of the world. Or let me put it this way, the end of a world. The world ended right here. But now, once, in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. A world ended. The world, that Old Testament world. Let me tell you, all the fullness of the Gentiles came in on that day. When Jesus hung there on the cross, and when he cried out with a loud voice, it is finished. All the fullness of the Gentiles came in. All the sins that I haven't even committed yet, and there's a bunch of them, I'm sure, were covered. If they're covered, they were covered that day. Brother Jimmy, I still think so often about the way you put that. I was saved when Jesus died on the cross. Bless you for such a simple, perfect thought. Why did God do all of this? Why did he? Why? I mean, he could have just, he could have done it anyway, but he chose this way. Verse 32, in kind of our text, for God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy on them all. All of who? All of the elect, regardless of what part they played in the crucifixion, regardless of what part they played in, in Jacob and Esau, regardless of what we, part we play on a day-to-day -day basis, whether we are good or bad or indifferent, if you're an elect child of God and God chooses to have mercy on you, you get mercy. You get mercy. For God hath concluded them all. And see, that's the thing we share with all those people that stood around the cross yelling, crucify him, crucify him. If we, had a, if we had not received mercy, brothers and sisters, if you don't receive mercy on a daily basis, you'd be shouting the same thing. Crucify. Crucify. Now, we can frustrate the grace of God, Paul says. He says that over the book of Galatians. He says, I don't frustrate the grace of God. Because you can. It's a thing that you can frustrate. Uh, you, might, you can waste it. You can disregard it. Now, does that affect your home in eternity? Absolutely not. If you're an elect child of God, you'll go to heaven whether you ever follow the leading of the Spirit or not. That's a whole other question. Oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and His ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor? Or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed to him again? For of him, and through him, and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. I hope the Lord helps us remember these things as my prayer.